here. I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Uh, my friend Cody Nelson, the Optics Authority, the Glassing Guru. If you guys have any binoculars, uh, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, give Cody a call, uh, uh, 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Uh, you can also text or call him on his cell phone. He loves getting texts, 602-399-3699. Uh, also, guys, it's application season. Uh, the Go Hunt Insider is the best tool to be able to research draw odds. Uh, go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You can sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. Uh, I also want to thank kuyu.com, uh, kuyu. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, that's the gear that I wear on uh, all of my hunts. Uh, Kuyu is a direct-to-consumer uh, company, and they sell all their gear at the website, kuyu.com. Go check them out. Phonescope.com, uh, use the jscott21 promo code. That's going to save you 10%. Uh, Phonescope, that's the adapter that I use, uh, able to adapt my iPhone to my binoculars and my spotting scope take uh, great video and pictures and then apex ammunition during the spring uh, apex ammunition is a sponsor go to apex mission that's the home of the tss the tungsten super shot uh, tss so we're shooting nine shots so we're going down for, to mexico we'll shoot close to 100 gould's turkeys with that nine shot you got a much denser pattern uh, using tungsten uh, and uh, knock them right off their feet. So go to apexmunition.com, check it out. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I've got my friend Justin Earhart of Premium Hunts on the line. Justin, how you doing? Good, how are you doing, Jay? Good, I'm anxious to talk to you. We're closing in on a deadline here for New Mexico applications, and the draw or the applications are due on March 17th here about a week away and so I wanted to make sure I talked to you. Uh, I know there's people out there that are still uh, waiting to, to do their application so I wanted to touch base on your New Mexico operation. You operate in uh, eastern Arizona as well as uh, New Mexico. Um, talk about conditions over the last couple of weeks. Have they improved a little bit over say a month or two months ago as far as moisture conditions? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, absolutely. The conditions have, have improved a little just because we did get hit with a few pretty decent snowstorms there, you know, in the last few weeks. But, you know, they, the conditions still aren't great. Um, so we're, we're hoping that it's going to be a decent year for horn growth. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that March can still be a month of moisture. Um, so there's always, you know, you always want to hold out hope that that can happen. But certainly from what everything I'm hearing, you know, the, the few little storms that we have gotten in the last couple of weeks have sure sure helped. I don't think, you know, we're, we're still in a drought, but um, every little drop of moisture helps at this point, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, every little bit. Oh, for sure, and I mean, we'll take every drop it'll give us. Justin, you um, obviously do a lot in Arizona um, and in New Mexico as well, but uh, one of the things in New Mexico, you really focus on the exotics. You really focus on 
you know, the, the animals that maybe new people don't really think about New Mexico. Talk a little bit about um, the opportunities for exotics and um, kind of give the listeners kind of a rundown on your thoughts on, uh, you know, being able to, to pursue those animals. Uh, you know, New Mexico's got a lot of great opportunities. I mean, they've got some from free-range exotic animals. You know, we've got the oryx, the ibex, the Barbary sheep. Um, you know, we, we hunt them all. Um, tags aren't the easiest to come by for some of them, but, I mean, there's a lot of really good opportunities out there, um, you know, all the way up in through February. So there's there's hunts going on for these species while there isn't for elk or or deer or anything else. Where do you see the state of, um, you know, Barbary sheep? It's, it's, to me, it's one of those animals that seems like it's just gaining in popularity uh, almost daily. Um, what are your thoughts on the Barbary sheep opportunities there in New Mexico and some of the different areas, and, and which, which hunts do you like the best? You know, that, that's, a hundred percent true. Every every day, it seems like they're just gaining and gaining in popularity. Um, they've they've been really good. You know, they're they're a fun animal to hunt. The the herd's doing well. Um, we hunt a handful of different units. Um, you know, we we like all the hunts. There's hunts in October. There's hunts in December, January, February, um, and and they're all good. What kind of rams, um, are, you know, I, I'm sure it varies from unit to unit, but on, on the most part, what kind of rams can people expect uh, to, to see? You know, we're, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we're, uh, we're trying to take, you know, rams that are, you know, in that 28 to an upper range, you know, we really try to shoot for 30 and up, but it's it's a lot harder in New Mexico than, say, West Texas, but, um, you know, every year we're fortunate enough to take some rams into the 30s, and that's pretty good for New Mexico public land. What, what do you see as far as, you know, your acoustic nut and glassing? Um, how does hunting the Barbary sheep you know, kind of coincide with some of the similarities of, of glassing for coos or similar country? Oh, it's it's very, very similar. I mean, we, we hunt them the exact same way we would coos. You know, we're, we're sitting down behind the glass for long periods of time, moving around, uh, changing angles. Um, you know, it's, it's really a fun hunt because you get to see a lot of animals usually. Um the country looks very similar to coos deer country, but there's just no coos deer in it. But it is, you know, it's definitely a fun hunt, especially for anybody who likes to glass and kind of see what they're going to go after. It's it's a fun hunt. So, Justin, in New Mexico, there's non-resident opportunities and then non-resident opportunities in the outfitter pool um, where your draw odds can be better when you apply with an outfitter. Um, talk a little bit about that when it comes to Barbary sheep, um, ibex, and and oryx. Well, there's a, you know, obviously your odds are going to increase for most everything if you're going to be applying into the outfitter draw because you're going to be fighting for a higher number of tags. Um, there's, 
there's a lot of different hunts that will give you a lot different, you know, draw rates. But, you know, there's there's plenty of good opportunities out there to be hunting, you know, some, somewhere throughout the season. Back to the Barbary sheep, when you're glassing for them, um, are they nearly as hard to see as a coos deer or do they stick out a little bit more? Um, are they maybe more like kind of glassing for mule deer uh, as far as body size and, and being able to spot them or how do they rate? Yeah, their body size is, is very comparable to a mule deer. Um, they blend in extremely well with their habitat. Um, you know, everybody's always amazed at how difficult they actually are to to spot because you'll be looking at one and all of a sudden there'll be another three that you didn't see and then there'll be another two and you know it just they just pop out of nowhere it's they're pretty amazing species um very tough animal what about the ibex um you know I, i've heard people say that the numbers are down and um seems like you still seem to find some really good ibex what, how's that herd doing you know, they are down compared to what it used to be just because, I mean, they have, they've crushed them with the nanny hunts and everything. But, you know, there's, there's still a good population on the mountain, but it's, uh, you know, quality is, is definitely not what it ever used to be. And, and numbers are down, but there's still a decent, decent amount there for sure. I mean, it's not like you're uh, going to be struggling, you know, to, to find one animal or anything. It's, there's a good population still. And then moving on to the oryx hunts, there's several areas where you can hunt the uh, oryx. Talk a little bit about those hunts as far as type of terrain and country. And I hear there's like a meeting that you got to go to, and then they open the gate and turn people loose. Um, talk about how, you know, going with an outfitter that knows the area, how that, that can play into people's hands to make a more positive experience. Yeah, so there's, for the Oryx, there's on-range hunts, off-range hunts. Um, there's, uh, <clears throat> the on-range hunts, they're, they're going to be a lot better. They're going to, you're going to see a lot more Oryx. You're going to have a lot better hunt, but there's, they're usually three-day hunts. So what they do is, you know, you'll wait, you'll lose your first day or ha first half a day to a, a meeting there, um, they call it the orientation where they go over all the do's and the don'ts of the missile range and, you know, let you know if there's any area closures or anything like that. And then they just kind of kick you out and everybody gets to go. So you, you've got to check in and check out of the range at certain times every day. Um, you know, they've got a lot, lot of very strict rules that you have to abide by while you're there. But, you know, if you if you kind of know the program and and have a good idea of the land on the missile range, I mean, you can you can make the best of it in a hurry. How do those oryx hunts go? As far as are you high pointing them, you know, and glassing down into the flats, or how do they normally operate? You know, there there's not a ton of high points anywhere. There's, there's a few on, on certain areas of certain ranges, but, um, you know, if, if the topography allows it, then yeah, we like to get up high and look around, but for the most part, you're just kind of getting into, you know, little molehills and you're looking in uh, a lot of, you know, greasewood flats and, 
and it's a lot a lot of flat country so they can be difficult to turn up at times but you know you just got to stay positive because once they're laying down in that flat stuff you know you feel like there's nothing there but obviously when they get up and start moving around you know they're a lot easier to spot and you can actually do something with them then how spooky are they um either to trucks or to um if they see people how wily are they you know they they can get pretty pretty wily for sure i mean you know you're you have to wear those blaze orange suits and uh on the on-range hunts and man they uh i don't know if if it's just the fact that you're walking around in blaze orange or if they're just they get keen after a while but you know it, it's a lot different now than what it used to be it used to be they there was just so many of them that they they weren't very spooky but nowadays if if they see it you know stop and get out of a truck they're going to give you a tail switch and they're going to be gone what kind of horn length are we talking on those oryx now you know we like to go after you know for a bull we we really like to go for 36 and up um you know that's a great bull um this year we were fortunate enough to take a 41 41 inch cow which was a great animal um so anything in that upper 30 range for you know bull or cow is going to be a great animal awesome um when it comes to deer in new mexico uh does that are there some areas where you can find some quality deer, both mule deer and there, deer? Yeah, there are. I mean, they're, you know, deer, hunt, deer hunting in New Mexico is just a tough game because there's only a few areas that are, you know, really um, on a consistent basis pumping out some trophy potential. And, of course, it's a, it's a really hard draw for, for a mule deer area like that. Um, but yeah, there are some areas there that are are going to be good for sure. I mean, it's you know it's a state with no bonus points, so you know you should be throwing your name in the hat for them at least. And uh, as far as coos deer, yeah, there's some great coos deer. You know, it's kind of always living in the shadows amongst Arizona and Mexico, but you know, New Mexico presents a lot of pretty good opportunities for coos deer as well. What are some of your favorite units for coos? I really like the unit 27. It's right on the border. But it, it can be a little disheartening at times because of all the illegal activity. That's a good one. And then I really like the 23 hunt. That's a good one as well. Those are probably my two favorite, 23 and 27. One thing about New Mexico a little bit different than Arizona is you do have quite a bit of private property in some of those units that you have to navigate around. It's not quite as open as, let's say, some of southern Arizona where you got a lot of uh, public ground. It's not that there's not public ground in New Mexico, but you've got to kind of know how to navigate around some of the different properties, right? No, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have a, you know something like Onyx, while you're hunting in New Mexico, you, you're putting yourself in a world of risk just because of, you know, the the fact that you might be getting onto somebody's private property or or something like that. And it's it's definitely something you don't want to mess around with because you know a lot of guys take that very seriously. When we 
um, look at the elk here coming up here in New Mexico, coming off, you know, the year we had last year and, you know, still in a drought, um, do you still think there's good opportunities for good bulls? Yeah, I mean, I, I do, Jay, in, in a few areas. Um, my recommendations this year have been a lot different than, say, you know, my recommendations that I put out last year just because some of these units, you know, it's it's a lot like the units in Arizona that once they, they see extreme drought and no groundwater in the unit, um, you know, there's no feed. I mean, they can be very disheartening. I mean, we might see, you know, the land of the five buys in, in a lot of these units again, and that's why I haven't recommended a lot of the units this year. Do you think that, you know, the the most popular units, you know, the 16As, the 16Ds, and, and some of those units, um, that there's other opportunities in units that are way lesser known units that, um, you know, if you really know where to go, I mean, I think that's kind of been your bread and butter is hunting some of those units that are a little bit off of people's radar, right? Yeah, definitely. We we usually stick to, you know, a lot of those units that, you know, seems it seems to me, Jay, that a lot of the, the bigger bulls have been coming out of units that, you know, are completely off everybody's radar. I can't remember the last time an ultra giant's been killed out of 16D, um, but, you know, some of these other units that, you know, usually don't hold very many elk at all, um, they're growing those bulls with the bigger age class just because of the the amount of hunting pressure is a lot less than, you know, units like 16D and stuff. And that's, to me, where the bigger bulls have been coming out are some of these little hidden gems. Someone like yourself that has, you know, horses and, and stock to get in some of these units, um, what do you think about, like, 16B, the, the wilderness unit, and and getting you know away from people and having good opportunities you know 16b um it can be very good hunt um the bow hunt there the second bow hunt's probably the best hunt in my opinion just because you know you're in in that rut date and that you've still got that you know 10 day season um but a rifle hunt in 16b it can be tough for one you've got a five-day hunt and when you're packed into the wilderness, you know, if, if something happens and the elk get bumped or, or they moved on you, you know, since you've been in there pre-scouting, you know, you've, you've, you're going to waste a day at minimum moving country trying to relocate, you know, with the elk. And a day is a lot on, on a five-day season. I mean, it's 20% of your hunt. So I'm not a super big fan of the rifle hunts and be just because of that that factor right there with your arizona operation and and new mexico um does it are there a lot of hunts that conflict or is it actually pretty nice because the hunt structure dates uh don't bounce into each other too bad and you're able to move back and forth between states living right there on the border right there's there's very few hunts that conflict i mean the archery hunts will definitely overlap on the second season in New Mexico and the archery season in Arizona, but um, that's pretty much about the only one that really conflicts for us. I mean, 
you know, most of New Mexico's hunts are going to be that mid to late October and, you know, mid-November. So New Mexico's late season is, is done when before Arizona's is even kicking off. So there's not much conflict there, which which is great for us because it allows us to hunt both states. Uh, lately in the news, there's been talk about some change to the non-resident quotas, talks about, you know, different landowner tag stuff. Um, I haven't really kept up with it. Um, have you, first question, have you kept up with it? And two, uh, what's kind of the state of affairs right now and, and what, what got resolved or where are we at now? So the last I've heard about it is they were still trying to, kind of get the first step in, in taking away the, the landowner's permit. And if they, if they get that done, it's, it's going to hurt us, you know, dramatically for, it's going to hurt everybody, you know. But as far as I know that they did lay off of, the, well, they were trying to get rid of the outfitter draw as well. And to my understanding, that's been tossed out for now so we're we not really having to worry about that right now but they are still kind of going after the the landowner permit so there's a contingency out there that they want to totally get rid of all of the landowner um tags and make it just a straight draw is that correct correct they're trying to do that and they're trying to do away with the outfitter draw um you know, they're talking about instead of the 84-6-10 split that we currently have, they're talking about going to, you know, a lot like Arizona with just a straight 90-10% split and with no landowner tags. And, you know, if they did that, it's just going to cripple the draws even more. Very interesting. Um, let's, I've got a couple questions about Arizona. With the latest little bit of moisture that you have gotten, um, say, since you've got home from Mexico or while you were in Mexico since then, um, what you've been bouncing around out there in 27 and 1, what are things looking like out there, and um, what's your thoughts, you know, moving into, obviously, any day now, the, the um, results will come out for elk and antelope in Arizona. What are you thinking now since the last time we talked about it? Uh, you know, I, I still have high hopes for, for units like one and 27, um, you know, just because they're, they're obviously in areas that catch a little more snow and they, they have a lot of natural groundwater throughout the unit, you know, creeks, streams, there's some lakes, um, that's, that's huge on a drought year, but units, you know, further north and stuff like unit two, just north of my town here is, is probably going to be a lot in a lot worse shape than you know units one and 27 but i what i, I suspect going to have a decent year i don't expect a great year um i expect a decent year you know yeah okay um and have you heard anything you know i'm here in florida so i'm a little bit uh, detached uh Heard they had eighteen more eighteen thousand more applications, and that's their excuse for taking so long for the draw. Um, I, I assume maybe you haven't heard anything else, but do you know anything else as far as timing or or why the draw is taking so long? You know, I don't know anything about timing. Um, 
from what I've heard, the reason it's taking so long is because I'm sure most most everybody's aware, but um, sometime in December they went through and changed everyone's portal account passwords, and they emailed them the new passwords to their email address on file for their portal account. So a lot of people that couldn't figure out that you know the game of fish had changed their their password, they uh, they created another account. So now now there's one person with two different accounts, and you know it, it let them go into the draw instead of trying to recover their original account. So now they're trying oh. to merge these two duplicate accounts to make sure that person goes in with their said bonus point. So in other words, if they couldn't get in, they created a new account, which then maybe didn't the bonus points for their existing species didn't roll over, so they go into the draw and what a mess. Yeah, they're they're trying to find everybody's duplicate account to to make sure that they go in with their bonus points. I mean, you you would think so. There's a and, chance the draw hasn't even. I mean, so. The draw probably hasn't even happened because they're still trying to to find all the duplicate account uh, duplicate accounts and make sure that they put everybody in accordingly with matching their bonus points. Correct. To, to my understanding, that that's what the big holdup is 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 that, and it just blows me away. I mean, I don't know how most everybody else feels about it, but it it's the worst process. To me, I mean, it's so unorganized, and you look at other states like, you know, New Mexico and Utah, who you can just go in and get applied and be done in no time flat. It just blows me away that Arizona is still this far behind the curve. Yeah, and to do that, you know, changing passwords that close to a draw cycle is just mind-boggling that that would even um, be something that they would think of but uh well buddy it's always great having you on the podcast um talking about different things and um how's your leg doing i know you for those that don't know last year sometime you you uh, had an accident and got busted up pretty good how you doing uh, it's doing a lot better i've still got a little bit of a limp but i'm i'm hiking the hills almost at full capacity so i'm very fortunate for that yeah good for you Good for how you. Well, that? let's see what. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, how was that that turkey hunt down there? You know, it's pretty cool. Um, I've always, I've always wanted to come down and hunt Osceola turkey down here in Florida. And ironically, we we kind of scheduled a trip down, and I just was so busy with everything. I, I it didn't really dawn on me. I, I don't really get to thinking about turkeys heavy until you know April and in May when I'm doing my Goulds turkey hunts. And anyway, we scheduled a trip down here and basically showed up with, you know, Crocs and flip-flops and no camo, no nothing. And then it uh, realized that, you know, like the south zone, the, the, the season I think opened the 5th or the 6th or something like that of March. And, um, you know, so once I got down here in mid-February, it kind of dawned on me that I was going to be right right here. And um, anyway, a uh, uh, my friend Casey Brooks has some properties down here that he leases, and and he's like, "You're not hunting turkeys." I said, "Well, I'm, I didn't even bring camo." And 
Long story short, I, I uh, ordered some stuff from QU, and they drop shipped it and got it to me really quick. And um, I uh, went out in tennis shoes. <laughs> I went out. I actually had some tennis shoes. I went out in and didn't have binos, didn't have turkey call, didn't have anything. But uh, uh, went out with Casey's guy, this a guy named Dave Sikik uh, down here, and uh, went out with him and. Uh, actually got the bird on the first afternoon. It was kind of rainy, crappy weather the first uh, day or two, and so we went out, I think, on day three and afternoon. We were going to do an afternoon and then a morning hunt, depending on how that afternoon went. And, um, we were able to slip up into an area where he thought some birds would be kind of loafing midday, and, and uh, I mean, it was a 15-minute hunt. And He's like, sorry for the short hunt. I was like, man, I've been on a lot of turkey hunts and a lot of long turkey hunts, so... I'm always grateful when you can get a quick one. So it was it was beautiful birds, um, not quite as big as Goulds, um, but spectacular in their own way. Had real copper uh, colored um, feathers are, are awesome, and then real black kind of band on their wings. Um, a smaller bird, yeah, probably. I'll bet my bird was like a 17 pound bird, um, maybe 17 and a half would be my guess. I didn't weigh them, but. Uh, yeah, had had decent spurs and a good beard and, and a full fan. So I got to see two birds strutting and six or seven hens milling around, and it, it worked out great. And um, Also went out fishing twice. Uh, uh, Ryan Nitz, uh, a guy that I followed on Instagram, I hit him up when I was over in the Jupiter area. and We fished. I had a couple uh, tarpon on um, and... He ended up uh, catching a Jack Cribali that he said is probably one of the biggest of the, one of the bigger ones he'll see all season. Is between a thirty-five and forty-pound would be my guess, Jack Cribali. And um, and then the next day I went shark fishing with my friend Andy Mill and um, on the ocean side on the Atlantic and uh, hooked in and caught uh, landed one. Uh, he said about a 90 pound uh, spinner shark and got to watch him jump out of the water. So it was, it was, it was an awesome fight and they just, you know, they tug and pull really hard. So it was, it was sweet to go out with Andy. He's kind of a saltwater fishing legend here, especially with the tarpon and, you know, the, the, the stuff in the keys. Um, so it was fun to go out and spend some time with him. And so yeah, Florida's treated us well and we're, we'll head back here in, in about a week and, uh, get get geared up for the Goulds turkey hunt. So uh, I want right. to give you a chance. To as, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I wanted to give you a chance to um, tell people where they can uh, hear more about your hunts and if they want to apply and put in with you in the outfitter pool, um, tell them how they can do that, and I'll link it up in the show notes, and then I'll answer whatever whatever you were about to say. Yeah, guys, any, anything New Mexico, um, even if you just chat about the draw, whatever, you know, feel free to give us a, a holler. You can reach me at 928-245-8722. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, just give us a holler anytime. You can shoot me an email at info at premiumhunts.com. So just reach out to us if you have any questions at all or want to get in on the 10% outfitter draw in New Mexico. Awesome, buddy. Awesome. Well, hopefully the Arizona will get their program figured out and uh, that draw will come out. Anybody looking for Unit 127, uh, give Justin a call. 
Uh, he's got a great group of guides, and they put down giants every year, and and seems like every every category, every species. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Jay, and uh, look forward to the next one. All right, buddy. Take care. God bless.